All right, well, we are going to be in Exodus 10, and we're probably not going to get, I didn't even get through all of Exodus 10 last time, so I'm kind of like, what do I do now? Um, so I'm going to um, try and get through all of Exodus 10, and first service, I'm going to have to make it up to them somehow next week. I don't know. But um, a lot going on this morning. We're talking about the last three plagues here of the locust, darkness, and then that death plague um, of the firstborn. So far, we've seen seven different plagues. The plague of the water turning to blood, the frog invasion, the lice or mosquitoes, some biting insect, the flies that were everywhere, the cattle that were diseased, or the, the boils that they broke out on their body, or that mega thunderstorm, right, where there was lightning and thundering and hell, storm, uh, hell falling and just, you know, ripping up the land. I'm killing anybody that was in the field, any animals that were in the field. <clears throat> so, I mean, they've gone through a lot, but Pharaoh is still not willing to let the children of Israel go. If you're not familiar with this story, Egypt has been holding God's people, Israel, in slavery and bondage, has been making life miserable for them, have been killing their sons, have been uh, putting hard labor and work upon them and taking advantage of them. And so God's people cried out for deliverance. God heard them, sent Moses to go back into Egypt and to bring them out. He goes to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go that they might go and worship. And Pharaoh says, nah, it's not going to happen. So now we've gone through seven different plagues where God is seeking to show his might and his power. And you, we see Pharaoh doing this. No way I'm going to let you go. The, you know, when the plagues hits, he says, all right. Um, I repent, I was wrong, you can go, and then he'll change his mind, or he'll offer a compromise of, and we'll talk about what those compromises are, we'll get through, uh, look at the two we've already covered last week, we'll get another one today, um, maybe two more today, uh, depending on how far I get. So th this is the kind of the scene that's going on, of a, a kind of a, a back and forth, but God has said, listen, if I wanted to have let my people go, I could have sent one strong plague upon you and would have wiped you all out and my people would have been let go. But I wanted to show my might and my power. And so although you are making that decision to be hard-hearted, I'm going to make your, I'm going to solidify you in that, that position you have taken. And um, through the uh, multiple plagues and mighty power of God, people will be able to look and see that I am a God of power. And so we'll, we'll read of that even again this morning. So the three remaining plagues are locust, darkness, and the death of the firstborn. We begin reading in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these things of mine before him. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So these successive plagues or signs become an opportunity for us to share generation after generation that when God's people are taken advantage of, when God's people are oppressed and hurt, that God stands up for them and delivers them and we can have that same hope of deliverance. That's how it applies to us. But we look back and we see the might and the power of God. 
So God is sovereign. Even when a hard-hearted ruler, Pharaoh, who counted himself a god, would stand in the way of what the Lord wanted to do, the Lord would, would use that hard heart to even glorify his name. And that's nothing new, is it? What about the cross of Jesus Christ? God sent his only son, Jesus, into this world to come to man and to be a light and to save and to redeem. And what did man do with this, this, this man who showed up, this God-man who showed up? They crucified him. And so they, the, the sovereign desire of God was to redeem mankind. And he knew that there was going to be hard hearts. And he knew that people would want to offer him up to be crucified. So we read in the book of Acts that even in that rebellion, that when godless men acted against God's only son, they were doing what God had predetermined would take place. So now we have this interesting kind of dilemma. Well, where is God's sovereignty and man's free will? We've talked about this each of the three weeks as we've been going through this. And it is a challenge, but this is what I'll say. God is sovereign and nobody's going to stand in the way of what he wants to do, even if they carry out their righteous acts and deeds, which ought to give us a lot of peace in the world. It doesn't matter what your boss is doing. It doesn't matter what your neighbor is doing. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Your maker, your savior and redeemer sits upon the throne and he's going to do whatever he wants to do. And nobody's going to stop him. Well, what about the evil? Even in the evil that goes on in this world, God will stand up and say, I'm going to accomplish my will. And I will even use those unrighteous acts to fulfill my purpose and, um, and my goals that I have. And, and so we don't see the whole picture. We don't see it all. We know man has a free will. We know that God is sovereign. And how these things interact together is understood and the wisdom of God. And um, I'm not worried about it. And if you're like, well, I can't figure it out. That's all right. If God's you know, wisdom goes deeper than, than yours, I kind of actually feel a little comforted by that. You know what I'm saying? It's all right. He's, he's, he's handling a lot of things. And we trust him because of his character and his nature. We look at the cross and say, if you're willing to do that for me, I trust you. And I have confidence that you're going to see me through. Um, as we move on into verses 3 and 4, we see that Pharaoh was unwilling to humble himself. And God asks him why. Um, so Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. So Pharaoh's refusal to humble uh, himself before God, and, and what is it, what's the pride, what's the stiff-necked aspect that's being called out by God in Pharaoh, that he won't obey his word. And this is how we evaluate where our hearts are with the Lord, isn't it? When we have a Bible which tells us of God's heart and his will for our lives, and we are able to open it, we're able to read it, and we see what he wants, how we are to deal with our enemies, how we are to deal with uh, our spouses, how we are to deal with our children or our parents or one another or in a lost world. We understand what he wants for our life because we read the word of God. And now we can measure the humility or the pride of our heart before God by our obedience to what he has said. And we can, we can claim, well, yeah, I love God and, you know, I, I, he's first in my life. But if you are not doing or I am in rebellion against what God is calling me to do, then it is a clear example of the pride, the lack of humility, 
to follow the Lord. Luke 6.46 says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Just leave that up there for a second. Let that just kind of sink in. The Lord expects that when he speaks to his servants, that his servants will not only call him Lord, Master, but that they also will do what he has to say. And so Jesus points out this inconsistency of calling him Lord, Master, presumably a willingness to yield and follow him, against the reality of, I'm not going to do that. And so in each of our hearts, I think it's a good question is, am I humble before the Lord? Have I uh, brought myself to that place of obedience? And if you are unwilling to conform to the Lord in that relationship you have, um, you know, maybe you've you're, you got a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're, you're living in fornication, you know what God says, but you're unwilling to, to obey him then that speaks of the pride of your heart. Or maybe you're unwilling to forgive a brother or a sister that has hurt you or harmed you. And you know you're supposed to forgive them, but boy, in the pride of your heart, you'll say, I'm not going to forgive them. They don't deserve that forgiveness. But what has God said? What has the Lord called us to do? He's called us to walk in forgiveness. Or uh, maybe in your marriage, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're to serve her and put her first. And as a wife, you are to respect your husband and yield to that leadership and the relationship. And you're not willing to do that. Well, why is that? Well, it's because of them. Okay, that might be the, the issue that is revealing the pride in your heart. But they don't make you disobey God. N nobody makes you disobey God. Nobody makes Troy Warner get prideful. That, that's an issue of my own heart. When I'm unwilling to yield to him, I can't look and blame. I mean, that's the popular thing to do, going all the way back to the garden, right? What did Adam say the reason was he sinned? It was the woman you gave me. And so this is the, the problem. Well, it's, it's Satan. He's the one that made me do this. And the excuses have continued to roll off the lips of people in every generation, every individual. There's a reason why. But no, it's my heart. It's my refusal to humble myself and just say, God, you know best. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I, mean, I don't even want to do it. But you know what? You are Lord and you are God. Therefore, I will do it. And this is the question. Why are you refusing to humble yourself and obey me? You know, the Lord is going to humble everyone. Everyone is going to be humbled. Uh, Psalm 147 verse 6 says, The Lord lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked down to the ground. You're going to be on the ground one way or the other. But it's much better to choose to be on the ground in obedience to the Lord and worship of him than it is for him to bring you to the ground. But he can do it. And so you have an opportunity this morning because you hear my voice, you hear these scriptures, you have a chance to yield yourself to the Lord and humble. Do that. Don't make him break you down and take you to the ground. He can and he will. And that brokenness is often the place where we'll come to the Lord. But much better of our own accord to say, Lord, I will yield to you. So we look at Pharaoh's re refusal to humble himself, but it's a good question and um, opportunity to look at our own hearts and our own lives. Now in verses 4 through 6, um, he warns that there's going to be a swarm of locusts that are going to come in. And we're going to, I'm going to skip this section because we're going to read another portion that's, that's very similar. But 
essentially what he says is your houses are going to be filled with um, locusts. You're not going to even be able to see the landscape of the earth. It's going to be so thick with locusts. You won't even be able to look out your window and see your, you know, the, the horizon. And so he, he speaks of them that are coming. This will be um, the next plague. Verse 7 through 11, um, we see Pharaoh in this conversation, unwilling to let the children of Israel go still, offers up a compromise, which is, hey, don't worry about this next generation of, of worshipers. Just you guys go and do it. But leave your kids here. Let's read. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? And let the men, let the men, not the whole, everybody, but just let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not know, yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going with you? Who are you taking? And he says, We're going to take everybody. And, um, you know, and so you see this, this tug of war. They're wanting to go with everybody. They're wanting to go out of the land. But he's saying, why don't, why don't just the men go? You don't need to take everybody. Um, and, and so this is the third compromise that we find in this exchange between Moses and Pharaoh and the call to let the people go. The first one is in Exodus 8.25. And there Pharaoh says, all right, you can, you can worship your God, but don't leave Egypt. Stay in the land and worship. Don't go out and be separate. Then a few verses later, verse 28, um, he says, all right, well, I tell you what, you can go out of the land of Egypt. Just don't get crazy, all right? Just don't go very far. You stay in nice and close. And each of these... Um, are an example of the way in which the enemy comes to us. He says, hey, you can be right with God, but you don't have to change a thing. You can stay right where you are. You can stay in the land. You can have all the same you know, friends, and you can have all the same customs and all the same behaviors. You don't have to change a thing. Just say that you worship God, but stay here and don't change a thing. And that, of course, is, I mean, that is not what the Bible teaches as well. But there are a lot of people that are deceived into thinking that they can do that. But, but no, you can't stay in the land. And then others will like, well, I'll go out. I'll change a few things, but I'm not going to be a, a full surrender to the Lord. And the Lord's like, listen, if you don't fully surrender to me, don't even bother. You've got to lay everything down. You've got to lay your life down. You've got to be willing to take up your cross. And, and again, another place where the enemy comes in is like, God is happy with, your, with, with half of what you have to offer him. He's not looking for you to be full on and radical for him. Oh, yes, he is. He is so call, he so calls for that, he says, I want you to even be willing to die for me. And if you're not willing to die, then you, you shouldn't follow me. I, I don't want family or friends or anything to become more important in your life than me. I must be number one. And if you are not willing to make me number one, then you are not worthy to follow me. These are the words of Jesus, okay? The words of the Lord. So there's the two compromises. Exodus 8.25, stay in the land. Exodus 8.28, don't go too far. And now here's this third compromise. Well, you can go but leave your kids here. And we can see that the Pharaoh of our day, Satan, is trying to do the same exact thing. He's trying to grab a generation of kids and turn their hearts from following and going out from Egypt and going and worshiping the Lord and making worship to him. 
And we see this all around. We can see the, the threat that is coming in to the church. And all of us in here, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you know somebody that has walked away from the faith. You know somebody that was raised in the Lord. They, maybe it's your children, your grandchildren. Maybe it's a friend or it's a niece or a nephew, a mom or a dad, or even a pastor. And they used to follow the Lord. They used to proclaim the name of Jesus. And now they're like, they're atheists. They don't believe in the Lord. They have such a messed up view of the Lord. And we see so much of this happening with the young people. And, um, and, and so we need to be vigilant. We need to understand. So parents, you have no small task in front of you. And no generation of parents ever have had this as a small task. To raise your kids to be worshipers of the Lord. And the enemy is going to seek to try and turn their hearts away. But you've got to have some resolve in you. That you're, gonna, you're not going to compromise. You're not going to give in. And just say, oh well... I guess it can happen. They can make their own decision. You've got to, in love and grace, seek to bring your kids to that place where they fall in love with the Lord and they worship the Lord. Again, I say it, I feel like I say it every week. I probably do. You might be tired of me saying it, but I just think it's so important. We're not trying to get our kids to just keep the Ten Commandments. We want our kids to fall in love with Jesus Christ and become worshipers of their Lord and their God. We want them to have a relationship with them. And so we've got to be vigilant. Parents, you need to be clear, you need to be consistent, and you got to be committed to the process. you got to be clear. You go to the Word of God, you find out what the Word of God is, and you bring this in front of them, and you say, this is how we're going to walk out the Christian faith. And you, you make it so that they understand what it means to be a Christian. And the word of God will guide us in that. But then you've got to be consistent. Don't have it on one day, have it off the other day. And the one thing that we're told is to not provoke our children, right? Don't provoke your children to wrath. And here's, a, I think, one thing that will provoke a child as quick as anything else is to see hypocrisy in the home. I didn't say sin, I said hypocrisy. You do know that there's a difference between sinning and being a hypocrite, don't you? All of you are sinners. And I'll put my name at the top of the list. We all sin. But it doesn't mean we're hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? It's somebody that play in a game. It's a person who's playing the game. They're like, hey, you know, we're, you know, we come to church and our hands are lifted up and we act like we have it all together. And then we get back home and then it's, it's, it's like chaos. It's like, you know, there's all kinds of rebellion and the name of the Lord is, is not honored and glorified. And our kids watch us and there's, there's no uh, repentance. There's no brokenness. Hey, I cannot even begin to tell you how many times I had to apologize to my kids growing up. Well, they were growing up. I often have to say, I am sorry. The way I responded, that was not right. That was not good. Your dad sinned. Um, will you forgive me? I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to forgive me. I hope you'll, and I, they would hear me pray a prayer of repentance when I messed up. And so um, that's not hypocrisy. That's just being real with my failure. And so it's not that we got to be perfect. Obviously, we're to be holy, right? This is what we live for. But it's, it's not the failures and the mistakes that, that cause our kids to become so um, turned against us. It's the hypocrisy, 
when we're unwilling to confess. And if you're here and you have a parent that's calling you to follow the Lord and they fall and they make mistakes and they own it, you've got a great parent. You've got a great parent that's willing to be honest with you about that and to see that. So we have to be consistent, not only in calling them to live it out, but we need to be consistent in modeling it for their life. And then lastly, you got to be committed. you got to be clear. you got to be consistent. You've got to be committed to the task. And when they're one year old, it feels real easy. And two years old, and reading the little bedtime stories, hey, those, that's, that's, that's easy. Wait till they become a teenager. And then you're, then you're going to be really tested for your commitment. And, and I, listen, if you're going to be, we should be committed at all time. But this is the thing that I think is, is, is such a shame, is that we're real committed when they're little. And then as they become teenagers, we take our hands off like, I just can't do it anymore. And it's at the most important time that we take our hands off the task. I mean, I would say don't choose one or the other. But if you had to choose one, make certain you're consistent in their teen years. This is when you really got to do it. And if you're like, well, I just want my kids to like me. You, well, then you shouldn't have become a parent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> They'll like you later. Right? Talk to some. Your kids will like you later. And I, listen, my kids, I've got a great relationship with my kids. And I, I hear from them every week. And it's sometimes I hear from them, you know, quite often every day. And I love it. I love when my phone, you know, lights up and I see, you know, my daughters or my son, their face pops up and we talk. Hey, Dad, just calling. How's your day going? What's going on? And we just talk. There's not, we're just. But I was. They did not get away with stuff. They didn't get to go and do whatever they wanted. And I didn't always make them happy. But I, I knew what the Lord wanted for me and for my family, and I walked it out. And yet you're going to feel the pressure that Moses is feeling right now. Well, you can go. Just leave your kids behind. No, you take your kids with you. You take them with you in that journey to follow the Lord. I don't want to go to church. Well, there's a lot of things that you're going to do that you don't want to do in life, so get ready, let's go. You know, well, I don't want to do this, I don't do that. Well, that's, that's okay. You know what, sometimes I don't want to do it either, but we're going to do this. I don't want to go to prayer. Well, the truth is, I don't want to go to prayer tonight either. But you know what? We've made a commitment that we're going to be here and we're going to pray, so we're going to go. And so we can both pray for our attitudes on the way to church. Because I'm leading the prayer meeting and I don't want to be there, you know? So it's all right. We do things we don't want to do. Be committed to it. You can do it lovingly. You can do it firmly. And, um, and just lead them. Don't let the enemy take them. And there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees. But those, those would be my three words. Be clear, be consistent, be committed. And, you know, uh, in this clarity point, don't add a lot of extras as to what you require of them. You're going to say no to your kids 10,000 times. And make certain you choose good rules to have your kids follow and obey. And I'll just be honest. I mean, sometimes the rules I made as a dad was because it was convenient for me and I liked it. And, and it had nothing to do with following Jesus Christ or worshiping him or being a good. It's just like, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. And it was a self-serving rule that I made up and I could make up because I was dad. 
But you know, as, as we went on, Rebecca and myself would say, like, why did we make up that rule? Now we've got to enforce that rule. That's a dumb rule. All right, newsflash, dumb rule reversal. Don't worry about it. You can, you can whatever anymore, you know. It wasn't a matter of the faith, but you know, just, you understand what I'm saying. You're going to say no a lot, so make sure you choose important things, not petty things, not self-serving things. Because, you, you know, you end up putting your self-serving rules on the same level of, as God's law. And that's not a good thing. So, clear, consistent, committed. In verses 12 through 15, the locusts come. It's, it's pretty... Um, I mean, just you read this, you're like, I am so glad I am not enduring this and going through this. Let's read verse 12. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land and all that the hell has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land. And all that day and all that night, when it was morning, the east wind brought locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt, and they were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. This is the worst locust swarm in the history of the world. Verse 15, For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hell had left. So they remained, there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. So it just, they, it just it brought darkness. Here's some fun facts about locusts. I know you've been wondering. Uh, um, a medium-sized swarm may compromise more than a billion locusts. And some swarms reach prodigious proportions with an estimated million, million times a million locusts extending over 200 square miles. They have no maps, no homing instinct, or control over where they go. Um, this is according to John Phillips. Um, and they're laying eggs as they travel. Uh, one account of a, a village that was trying to protect their crops um, and they saw the swarm coming. They readied themselves. And this is the account that we have. Another person observed a plague that came like a living deluge on his village. The villagers dug trenches, kindled fires, beat drums, and flailed and, burn, uh, and burned locusts to death by the thousands. But their efforts were useless. The swarm rolled up the mountainside, poured over the obstacles, and descended on the crops and trees. It took days for the whole swarm to pass through the area. The roads were covered with the locusts marching along like soldiers. The villagers broke the ranks, but the locusts closed rank again as soon as they passed the men. So this, this is a dark scene, and it's um, one more plague. This causes Pharaoh, verses 16 through 20, to break down and confess his sin. And again, you see, he owns the responsibility of his own sin, but it's only going to last until the locusts are gone. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. 
So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children go. So this is that swarm of locusts, the eighth plague. And um, we see the same Pharaoh hardening his heart, repenting, God hardening his heart. We see this kind of process that's going. Now, in verses, uh, in the rest of the chapter, we get the ninth plague, which is a plague of three days of darkness. Verse 22, so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Can you imagine that? So everywhere else was dark, but not where Israel was living. Um, and so this is, we don't know what exactly was, was going on with this darkness. What was that physical, how did God perform this? Um, what was that physical mechanism? Uh, we don't know, but we just know that, that they did. Now, the, one of the main gods of um, Egyptian worship was Ra. It was the sun god. And remember, each one of these attacks is against one of their gods. And so there are many gods that, you know, the god of the sky, goddess of the sky. So uh, maybe um, there are multiple gods being attacked all at once through each of these plagues. But it's darkness. And then we come to verses 24 and 26. And Pharaoh's, he wants to, you know, offer another compromise. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. I love that. We're not going to leave anything in compromise. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. We don't know what's going to take, what God's going to require of us. So we got to take everything that we have. So here, the compromise, this fourth compromise is don't make a sacrifice. You know, you can follow, you can go, but don't go and make a sacrifice. Now, of course, um, we know, we're going to learn the importance of blood sacrifice even in, in our study next week of the Passover. But... God is a God who is to be worshipped. And in the Old Testament, they worshipped with sacrifice. And the enemy is always wanting us to protect and to not allow anything to die. I'll serve, but I don't, as long as it fits into my schedule. I mean, I'll serve. It's not going to take any, too much time, is it? I'll serve. It's not going to take too much money. I'll serve. It's not going to require too much of me emotionally. I mean, it's going to be easy, Right? Right? Because if it's going to be easy, then I'll serve. But if i got to give something up, if flesh is going to die, then I'm not in. Well, here's the new flesh. You can't worship God in the Old Testament unless flesh died. That's just the way it was. You brought animals to the altar, and they were offered up. And we need to take on the mentality and the heart that the Apostle Paul said when he spoke of being poured out as a drink offering. My head gets chopped off and my blood spills out. That's all right. I'll gladly serve the Lord in this way for you. Or when he spoke to the Corinthians, he says, although the more I love you, the less I'm loved, I will gladly spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. 
that we would give something up in our worship to the Lord should not surprise us. 1 Corinthians, uh, Chronicles 21, verses 23 through 24, after David had sinned, he was wanting to make an offering, and he speaks to this man who owns a field and asks to buy it. This ends up being the Temple Mount, right, where Solomon will build the temple. But he says, But Ornan said to David, Take it to yourself and let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for burnt offerings, the threshing implements for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Then King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price. And here's the, here's the line. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. If we're trying to live a Christian faith that doesn't cost us anything, then we're not, we don't understand who we're worshiping. God is worthy of our very best. And so um, he offers up and he gives everything. Again, it, this ends the same way um, Pharaoh refuses to ever see Moses again. So I don't ever want to see your face again. You just stay away from me. And, and so we'll, we'll pick up next week in chapter 11 and we get that last, we'll move into chapter 12 as well. We get that last plague. But see, the Lord wants us to be humble before him, obeying him. We can trust him in his sovereignty that no matter what crazy people do in the world or what that crazy boss lady or you know, boss man does or that neighbor is doing, our God is in control. We don't need to fret. Even if there are unrighteous acts that people are walking in, God wins. God will reign and his purposes will be fully accomplished even if it has to go through deep waters and dark forests. When it come out on the other side, God will have accomplished his perfect will to his glory and his honor. So be at rest. Do not fret over what's going to happen in this world. You've got a king that's got it all under control. You don't have to fret. He's coming back and he's going to set up his throne yeah, but what if bad stuff happened? Oh, he's going to use it. God will use the bad stuff that happens. Don't worry about that. And let's make certain that in our journey to follow the Lord, we don't bite on any of the compromises. You know, stay in the land. You can be a Christian. You don't have to change anything. Or, well, you can go out of the land, but don't change much. Or, hey, don't take your kids. Don't pass this on to the other people. Keep it to yourself. Or, hey, you can follow the Lord, and it won't cost you anything. No. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. But if you seek to save your life, you're going to what? Lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you're going to find out what life is really about. I'm privileged to be able to present to you in just a moment here the, the communion elements. But let's first pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and your truth. Thank you for your mercy and your grace upon us. Lord, I thank you that when we come in the name of your Son and we say, Lord, forgive us our sins, you forgive all of our sins. You drive out every last locust that bites and devours our life. You, you cleanse us completely. And Lord, we love to be clean before you. We know of the guilt and the shame of our sin. And yet to be clean through the sacrifice of your Son, we just lift our hands, we lift our voices, and we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
If you're here this morning and you've been, you know, just proud and unwilling to come to Christ, and you hear the voice of the Lord saying, why do you refuse to humble yourself and come to me? Then, then would you humble yourself and just say, all right, Lord, it's no longer my way. It's going to be your way. I will serve you. You'll be my master. You'll be my Lord. And I come and I ask for forgiveness, and he'll receive you. Or maybe you're the believer who has come, but boy, things have kind of just built up in your life. There's a, you know, there's a backlog of, of pride and an unwillingness to obey the Lord, thinking that it doesn't really matter that much. May you hear that it matters. And the Lord wants you to be a faithful servant doing the things that he's asked you to do.